Welcome to Practice That, podcasts for the practice manager. Today is Tuesday, the 23rd of November, 2021. I'm Ann Davis with RACGP and with me is Stuart Chan. Stuart is a partner with Kutcher and Neil, an accountancy and finance firm. We're continuing this series of podcasts about all things financial with a discussion on business owner agreements. You may remember an earlier podcast with Stuart where we discussed the structure of medical practices and this is virtually the next step. Stuart, lovely to see you again. Thanks for having me, Anne. As a reminder, Stuart is providing general information today and it's important to seek advice in relation to your particular financial situation. This podcast is about business owner agreements. There is so much happening when a GP is setting up a practice or joining a practice, they may forget about the importance of that relationship, both the legal and personal, with the people that they're going into ownership with. What's your experience in this space? Absolutely correct, Anne. There's there's so much going on. And I had a phone call from a doctor who was looking for some information. So the phone call started along the lines of, I need some assistance valuing my practice. Why do you need evaluation? Because I have a doctor who works in the practice that is looking to join the practice. How will they join? Will they be taking over the whole practice or will you be selling half the practice? And the answer is, I'm not really sure. And then the conversation goes along the lines of, you know, how long have you worked with them? Are they the right cultural fit? So there's lots of qualitative issues that you need to think about. But after you have that sort of a conversation, and there's a lot more to that conversation in terms of how do you work together, then you need to document all of that in a business owner's agreement. So often referred to as a shareholder's agreement, if the practice is structured as a company, company has shares, often referred to as a unit holder's agreement, if the practice is structured as a unit trust So there's a whole bunch of conversations that need to happen before you even get to the business owner's agreement. But looking at the business owner's agreement and perhaps the index on the business owner's agreement is a bit of a checklist really for any prospective business owner or any, in fact, any existing business owner who's about to introduce another business owner to tick off on. So that could be conversation points with the other owners, couldn't it? Or potential owners, I guess. Yeah. So, you know, there's four ones, which we were talking about a bit earlier, and I think they're probably four very valid ones. One of those content items would be absence periods, right? So it's not leave periods because you're not employing doctors, as we know, was for tax purposes, but absences. So, you know, what happens when one of the doctors wants to take some time off? And we're talking a bit, you know, more than just the Christmas period, you know, something significant. They might be when you're allowed to travel overseas again, going away for an overseas sabbatical. That might be three or six Mm -hmm. months. So if there's only two owners in the practice, does that leave the owner who's staying in Australia and and continuing to work in a bit of a tight spot? So you need some parameters around absence periods. Do you need to give appropriate notice to go away? And how long should you be away for before it's deemed that you're not actually carrying your financial weight? So just with those absences, the discussion should be about what are the financial responsibilities when you're not physically at the practice? Yeah, absolutely. There's a concept that we definitely broach with all of our clients, which is a minimum service fee. So think the typical structure for a general practitioner, doctors as sole traders, paying a service fee to the practice, and the practice may be structured via a unit trust if there's more than one owner. 
if one of the doctors who's a sole trader is away for, let's say, six months, then they won't be paying a service fee. But the practice needs that service fee to cover its costs, to break even, one of those concepts we talked about a bit earlier. So if you're away, do you still need to pay a service fee? And quite often we say, yes, you do need to pay a service fee because you need to carry your fair weight in terms of the financials. The salary and the wages for the staff remain on foot. Rent stays on foot. You know, the utilities, internet, et cetera, stay on foot because the practice needs those. So it might be that you still have to pay a service fee when you're away for a six or a three-month period. Having that conversation is in itself a good thing to do because then you can come up with some practical solutions. So one of those practical solutions might be that you can find a doctor to work in your place. They could pay a service fee. And that effectively replaces the minimum service fee that that doctor that's taking that absence period, you know, would have paid. But then having that conversation, so it might be you and I, Anne, and you go, well, let's get some John in to take my place. I might say, well, actually, John's already working in the practice though, Anne. So it's not really fair that John's service fees, which are effectively shared between you and I now, are used purely to replace the service fee that you would have paid. Perhaps we need to go and find another doctor who can pay those service fees. So that one line item in the business owner's agreement, absences, brings up a whole range of different topics. And you probably need to approach this business owner's agreement and give it a definite end, as it were, because otherwise there'll be too many hypothetical situations which you're trying to cover off. You want to cover off the practical ones. Which are the ones that are most likely to happen? An absence period is probably something that will happen, as it were. Are you suggesting that an agreement will be for a period of, say, five years and that there must be a review of it at the end of the five years? It may be reviewed during the interim time, but it must be reviewed because of some of the clauses that might be time limited? I wasn't so much thinking about the clauses being time limited. I was thinking more about the different hypothetical scenarios that you need to cover off in the agreement being limited because otherwise it'll be a how long as a piece of string conversation. But what you've said there is actually very valid. So, you know, like any agreement, service agreements, for example, they should be reviewed on a periodic basis. So the unit holds agreement should be reviewed when there's a significant change or a change in circumstances which would influence the outcome or the practical operation of that unit holders agreement. So a new doctor joining, probably want to revisit the unit holders agreement. And when I say unit holders agreement, I'm assuming that the practice is structured via a unit trust. So that new doctor joining the practice, if it's a solo practitioner, as was the case with that recent phone call I had, they not only have to think about preparing a unit holders agreement, if they're going to stay on as a part owner, but they also think need to rethink the structure of the practice as well, because in that situation, they were just operating as a sole trader. So do we now need to incorporate or establish a unit trust where the existing doctor owns half and the incoming doctor owns half, which is effectively transplanting the existing operations of the general practice into a new entity? So that's absences. (laughs) So what's the next one that we need to think about? Probably funding is another common one. So how does the practice get its money? Do the two doctors or three or how many doctors there are lend money to the practice initially or do we go to the bank to get money from there? Um, Typically, it's going to be the doctors funding it at a point in time and and hopefully with careful planning and correct management, uh, as our practice managers will do, 
then the practice will have enough money in its daily operations to fund ongoing working capital, et cetera. Valuations is obviously is another topical one, and that sort of ties in with departures as well. So if you have an incoming doctor, what about the doctors who want to exit? How do they exit? On what terms do they exit? And sort of what timeframes? So if you want to leave, do you need to give uh, notice periods? And we would say, yes, it's appropriate and you know, respectful to your other business owners to let them know that, hey, I'm thinking about winding back to 50% in 12 months time. So that gives the practice time to make adequate arrangements, et cetera. So just with someone departing and perhaps there's an evaluation process, would the agreement be prescriptive on how that valuation should be done? They can be. There's pros and cons of being prescriptive. The advantages of having a set formula in the agreement to say, this is how we will value your share and this is how you will be paid, provides a lot of clarity. So you might go to say that the practice would be valued using this methodology. It might be using a particular multiple. We've heard that that terminology, you know, in general practice land a lot. And then that provides clarity to everybody, as it were. But it's also prescriptive. What if that methodology was prescribed five years ago and, you know, five years on, the, the circumstances have changed and that methodology may or may not be appropriate? That's the disadvantage of it. But I think the advantage of having some clarity in there probably outweighs the disadvantages of having it completely silent. If it said we would get a valuation and you would go and seek some assistance from an independent valuer, then there's there's room for you know, I guess, interpretation or, you know, arguments at that point in time. Just with a departure and the potentially incoming of new practitioner, I've seen situations where some of the other owners haven't been particularly wanting of the selected new GP. I mean, should the agreement have any guidelines about how an incoming owner is selected? So one of those other content items or topics is decision-making. So do you need to have unanimous decisions for these type of questions? So the introduction of another doctor, do you need unanimous decisions to agree on purchasing a new photocopier? So you would have different scales, I think. In fact, you'd probably be outsourcing that to the practice manager, right? You'd say, well, they can go and make capital purchases up to $5,000 worth or, or something like that. Whereas you probably want unanimous decision agreement to introduce another doctor. So if you've had four doctors and you're introducing a fifth doctor, it would be it would be appropriate to have all four agree. That's good and nice and clear. But what happens if you have one dissenting doctor? Does that stall the you know the operation, the practice? So again, how long is a piece of string? You probably just need to take a view on it. The business owner agreements are never perfect. They'll only be perfect if you knew exactly what the scenario was going to be in the future, which obviously isn't going to be the case. And I guess it's worth just noting that these agreements should be written and they should be drawn up by someone that knows what they're doing. So seeking some legal as well as accounting advice is really valuable. They are definitely legal agreements, so we don't prepare them. What's helpful is for us accountants and practice managers who understand the more likely scenarios that will occur and the likely conversations to perhaps prepare a bullet point form of what the scenarios are, what the situation should be. And then that can be provided to the lawyers and then the lawyers can provide their input into it. And there are many law firms who deal with doctors, so they all know these situations quite well. Further to the valuation, 
And what some of these agreements have is that if you, you can leave on good terms or you could leave on bad terms. And what happens if you don't give a notice period and you say, I'm retiring tomorrow, see you later. Should you be penalized in terms of the valuation of your interest in the practice? So that would be a bad lever, as in L-E-A-V-E-R, bad lever, and might be built into the agreement. And you know you might only get, who knows, maybe 75% of your entitlement as opposed to all of your entitlement. Well, Stuart, that's lots to think about and certainly business owner agreements are incredibly valuable, but it's the difference between having a useful agreement as opposed to agreement that isn't useful. So you've given us some really good tips there. What are other agreements that business owners might like to consider? The service agreement is an obvious one in terms of the business being engaged with the other doctors, but an agreement which springs to mind, which works in conjunction with the business owner's agreement is a buy-sell agreement or a cross-insurance agreement. So it's insurance perhaps taken out over the life of one of the doctors because they would be deemed to be a critical person or a key person. So you have the terminology key person insurance. And what it does is it provides funding for the practice to help pay out the doctor's share of the business to the doctor's family if they're not there. It's definitely one that you need to seek professional advice on. And you also need to make the decision that you're going to take out some insurances on those uh, key staff members to help fund it. It might be the practice can fund it itself. It might be the practice doesn't need it because the practice doesn't have any great value just yet. It's only a small size practice. But something to Mm. think about. There's lots of uh, items in the contents of the business owner's agreement to probably make sure you address beforehand. And insurances would definitely be one of those as well. And I guess just with those insurance, you've touched on it, but I mean, who actually pays for it? And I'm thinking of situations where a practice may have a number of owners of different ages and of different factors that will impact on the cost of that insurance. So I think there'd be probably quite a lot of conversations about the payment as well. Correct. And it might not be appropriate, the insurances, when you've got a situation where you've got a senior, more mature doctor that's transitioning out. If they're transitioning out already, you probably want to put in place some other practical funding options as opposed to getting insurances because it may be very expensive to get some additional insurances on someone who's a bit older and they may have some existing health conditions. So Stuart, just in closing, we've covered quite a lot of detail in relation to business owner agreements. What would be your top tip? The one thing that you would recommend when you're looking at preparing that business owner agreement? We've really just scraped the surface of it. So my advice would be having a conversation between the business owners about, well, what are our rights? What are our obligations? What what do we think we need to address? Putting those down on bullet point, at least having a conversation so that you have the raw material to go into a business holders agreement. And doing all that legwork earlier in the piece will make the process of actually preparing the, the agreement a lot easier. The challenging part is having those conversations and and working out, well, is this really applicable? And then working on the items that are really applicable. Chat to your advisors, get a hold of a business owner's agreement or a unit holder's agreement, look through the contents and work out, well, these seven ones are the more common issues, more likely issues that we need to deal with. Let's talk about those ones. Write down on bullet point form what we think we should do. 
and then seek some advice. And then definitely uh, when you have time, it's uh, the agreement's often kicked down the road because it's a too hard thing to do because it takes time and effort. But at least you've got the raw data. You can point to that because one of the key advantages of having a unit holders agreement is that it, it can prevent a very messy separation because everything is documented. And you want to have all of that documented well in advance. So one of the solicitors described it to me as you're, you're writing up the prenup basically so that everyone knows what's going on beforehand. And it'll save you time and money in the event that you need to call upon at the separation stage. And I guess that's where a practice manager is quite well placed just to facilitate these meetings and discussions and possibly to document the discussions as well. A practice manager's role is really an enabler for all this to happen because it's in their interest as a practice manager to have the document as well. Yeah, they'll, otherwise they'll be left holding the baby as it were. Yes, exactly. Stuart, once again, thank you so much. Great advice. Thanks, Anne. That brings us to the end of this podcast. Until next time, goodbye and be kind to each other.